Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. We have a great show for you today, and we are going to begin with a discussion about the film Blood Lions with its producer. It concerns the canned hunting business of lions in Africa. They actually breed lions for the purpose of shooting them and quote-unquote hunting them. This comes at a very interesting time following all the extra interest in Cecil or Cecil the lion and his murder. So I'm happy to introduce Blood Lions producer Pippa Hankinson. Welcome. Hello, Peter. Thank you for the opportunity. It's wonderful to talk to you from South Africa. It seems a very, very long way away, but um, I'm very thrilled to have this opportunity to speak to you and my gratitude to you and Laurie for organizing this. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And it's our pleasure to share this with every, all our listeners. And why don't you start by telling us how you got involved in the plight of lions? How did you get into this? Probably I need to begin with the fact that I was born in Malawi, a country which is now known as Malawi. And we lived in, the, in a very wild and remote area. So my childhood was a very privileged one in, in that we grew up with wild animals all around us. Um, including lions and my father had done some medicine and um, so we rescued a lot of these animals and you know if they were injured we'd he would fix them up and we'd let them go Um, and then I grew up in that environment we then moved to Swaziland and very privileged again to have wild animals roaming free around us so that was my background and that's how I grew up and then um, I eventually, after finishing school, I traveled a lot and then I got involved in tourism and I sold my business about 10 years ago and almost went back to my roots and got involved with conservation and wildlife here in, in South Africa again. Yes. And I spent a number of years serving on various boards of conservation organizations as a, as a trustee member. And it was during that time um, when I was involved with um, in conservation, but on the periphery of conservation, that um, I witnessed firsthand a lion breeding facility in the Free State in, in South Africa. And I remember walking onto that um, into that facility, and the shock and horror of seeing rows upon rows of enclosures with captive bred lions. Um, inside, sometimes two or three, sometimes as much as seven or eight mm. in one small enclosure. And, um, and it was just, um, it, was, it, it, was, it was a shock for me to see this. And I left there thinking that this was an industry that wasn't open to public scrutiny and that I, w- I just felt that something needed to be done about it. It wasn't open to public opinion. And uh, even as a South African, I was unaware of the extent of captive lion breeding. Yes. I had heard about canned hunting, yep. um, but I'd never witnessed the actual breeding facilities firsthand. <clears throat> and I remember driving back to Durban and, and being really upset by what I'd seen and wanting, trying to find a way that I could bring this to the 
to the public's awareness and came up with the idea of of making a film. It was the only way that I could could think to bring global awareness to this industry and to you know to make people aware of what was ha- happening. And for me, film was a way to enable viewers to make responsible choices. I believe that we are really being challenged particularly in Africa, around our roles and responsibilities towards wildlife. And, I mean, they are our heritage. And if we are hoping to see wild animals or our child, for, our child, or for our children's children, you know, we need to step up to the plate and we need to do something about it because our wildlife is disappearing very, very fast. As shocking as that was to you, I would say it probably would be just as shocking, if not more so, to Americans to learn that there is a large captive breeding industry of lions for the purpose of uh, mowing them down. Uh, It's really shocking to hear. So we're really pleased that you... uh, made the decision to make this film. So how many lions are, are held in captivity? What's the business like? It's estimated that there are between six and 8,000 lions, but the reality is we, there could be a lot more. Um, bet- we've been told by the Department of Environmental Affairs that there are 200 farms, but according to the NSPCA in South Africa, they actually cannot keep track of the number of farms that are springing up or, or breeding facilities that are springing up across this country. There are only four provinces. We have nine provinces in South Africa, right. and four provinces are involved with the captive lion breeding and um, captive lion hunting. In South Africa. The practice is legal. The practice is legal. Um, it started in the late 90s and how it arose was, I, it, I, it arose for a number of reasons. I think it was just a very easy um, and lucrative business to be in. Um, when I can give you an, a, a comparison, for example, um, between the hunting methods on, in, in South Africa, a captive bred lion hunt is really a very quick, easy, and very economical way to hunt a lion in South Africa. Um, the average price is anywhere between $4,000 and $19,000. Um, and it, you, can, you can bag your lion in literally two to three days. Mm-hmm. Whereas a wild lion hunt in Tanzania would, is a very different story. You're not guaranteed your kill. Um, you can you can be tracking that animal for up to three weeks, and the average price for that is around seventy six thousand dollars. So there's a very big difference between the time and the cost of 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 that. And then taking into account that the success rate on a captive bred lion hunt, we would we don't call it hunting, we call it killing, um, the success rate is, is pretty close to 100%, whereas it's a much lower figure on a wildland hunt. So that's really how the whole industry arose, mm. um, um, was to, to cater for that, for that industry. And shocking as it is, over 50% of the hunters coming to South Africa are Americans. And that's, you know, to answer your question, um, about how you know how it affects the Americans and if the Americans are involved, yes, those those are the statistics that we have received. We're speaking with producer of Blood Lions, Pippa Hankinson, and Pippa, tell us a little bit about how the film unfolds. When, what are you trying to accomplish in the film, um, Peter? What we're trying to accomplish is to 
to there, there are actually five particular aspects of the captive lion breeding that we've tried to highlight in the film. And it starts with the captive the 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 volunt at least the cub petting industry now what happens is on these land breeding facilities cubs are literally ripped away from their mothers within the first week of birth goodness um and the reason for this is that the mothers then will go back into estrus very quickly and they're breeding four to five times faster than they would in the wild in the wild a wild lioness would breed um, have a litter of cubs every 18 to 24 months. Um, but with this um, rapid breeding prog- program that they have, she's breeding four to five times. I mean, in the film, we witnessed a, a lioness that was pregnant for the fourth time in 14 months. Mm. And there's huge stress to the, both the mothers and the cubs when this happens. Um, and not to mention, you know, the, the welfare of the of those lionesses, the sec- the second aspect of the of the breeding industry is the um, the volunteer aspect of that. So you have the cub petting where people can't resist tourists coming into South Africa can't resist having their photographs taken with a little cub, and they really are adorable when they're little. So it's very hard to resist the opportunity to have your photograph taken with a little cub of literally days or weeks old and have a selfie and post that picture of yourself with the lion cub on Facebook. And the charge for that is around 100, 150 rand to do that, Mm -hmm. which is um, around $15 to do that. So the second aspect is the, the the cub volunteering program where Hundreds of children or young people rather are are being lured to South Africa in with these projects where they are coming in their gap years, for example, believing that they are saving orphan cubs and that they are supporting bona fide conservation projects where in fact it's nothing of the sort um, and these cubs have been taken away at birth, and the final destination of these cubs is is they're really being bred for the bullet. Incredible. Um, so these young volunteers are being duped, um, and they really come to South Africa believing that they're doing their bit for the planet and that um, these animals, they're really saving these animals, where in fact they're not, they're not orphaned cubs at all. And most of the projects that offer volunteer programs have got nothing to do with conservation whatsoever. They're just purely commercial um, uh, projects. That's incredible. The deception is impre- incredible. And, you know, what we, we're certainly not saying is that all volunteer projects in South Africa are like this. But what we are saying to the volunteers before they come is, please, please do your research because um, many, many of these projects, these lion breeding projects, are are simply breeding lions for the bullet and for the lion bone trade, which I'll go into a little bit later with you. The volunteer industry um, is highly, highly lucrative. Volunteers are charged between $4,000, around $4,000 a month um, to, to, to look after their lions, these cubs. And then when they leave, they're, they're encouraged to pay for the veterinary bills and the food bills for a year. And then they're encouraged to come back and pay another three to $5,000 a month to walk with their lions. After the break, we're going to continue our discussion about blood lions with Pippa Hankinson. You're listening to Animals Today. 
So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely, you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIAnimals.org. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. Welcome back to Animals Today, continuing our discussion about the movie Blood Lions. Pippa, continue your discussion about how these juvenile lions are treated. They're usually around four months to eight months old, and they walk with with tourists coming into South Africa with their handlers. And for a half-hour walk with these lions, it costs around $60 to do that. They are usually between two and six lions that, that do these walks, and they're 
do a number of these walks every day. Um, but then at the end of it, they go back into the, the hunting or the, the lion bone trade industries. And these lions are, are, are literally trained as circus animals to pose on, on rocks or tree trunks. Or, and in one case where we went on to, into one of these, these facilities, it was actually trained to climb a tree to get a little chunk of meat wow. so that people could pose between, below the tree to get their photographs taken. So that that's the third aspect, and then of course the fourth aspect is the the captive or canned hunting, where lions are put into enclosures for the hunt, and um, and they literally in the case of Northwest Province it has a 96-hour put and take regulation, which means that the lion is put in an enclosure, um, and then it's taken four days later by being shot. The the reason for that is to make sure that the tranquilizer has worn off. But the reality is when a captive bred lion goes into an enclosure like that, no matter how big it is, it it cannot escape. Um, And it's not considered a fair chase hunt in most people's opinions. It's not a fair chase. And domestic animals will not try and escape a hunter because that's the hand that feeds them. They have got so used to people feeding them that they're not they're not afraid of of people, so they don't run away and try and hide in most cases. Uh, the final element of this business is a, a relatively new industry that has emerged, and that's the lion bone trade. And what the lion bone trade is is um, that lion bones are, are being exported from South Africa to supplement the tiger bone trade. In, in the east. Mm-hmm. So in 2009, we have an official statistic that only uh, just over 100 carcasses were exported. And last year, the official statistic is that 1,300 carcasses were exported to Asia to supplement this, this trade. And um, the lion bones are being um, substituted for tiger bones because there are very few tigers left in Asia and it's illegal to, to shoot tigers in Asia. So, and the two aspects of the tiger, the tiger bone trade are the first one is tiger wine yes. where these bone, the carcass, um, the skeleton of a tiger or a lion in this case would be put into what is appears to be a big almost like a big fish tank. And um, there are a number of ingredients that go into this and the the mixture is fermented and it's it's tapped for what they call tiger bone wine, or they're now bottling it as well. And then that is for rheumatism and arthritis, we're told. So it's the Chinese traditional medicine. And then the second um, aspect of that is the tiger bone trade, where bones are, are... put into type of vats and they are reduced and reduced and reduced and the mixture that is left um, we've been told is mixed with turtle shell and macaque monkey bone and uh, mountain goat antlers and opium and this forms a a cake which is 100 grams and it's um, crumbled into rice wine or, or into whiskey and that is for virility. Um, so this industry has grown so rapidly over the last couple of years, and it's a huge concern to conservationists here in South Africa. 
for, for obvious reasons. And the, the way the lion bones are collected is that after hunting, the bones are collected by certain, certain people who form consignments. And then they're shipped as consignments to Vietnam or to Asia, to Laos or to Vietnam for the trade in China. So what was your approach to producing the film? Our approach to, to producing the film right from the beginning was to take the middle road. We decided that we would give everybody a voice um, and we set out with that objective in mind. We felt that in all, if we were to achieve our objectives of creating global awareness and garnering support to help us close down the or to help the people that are actively involved in closing down the lion breeding trade in South Africa, that we we needed to 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 be very clear with our objectives and from a journalistic perspective we decided to take the middle road. So we interviewed a number of of um, professionals across the field, um, including conservationists. We did in, in, in um, we interviewed government bodies and provincial um, organisations and welfare organisations as well. We interviewed the NSPCA. So we got a number of of very varied interviews across the board. And that was our objective, so that we would give everybody a voice and, and, to, and the ability to have their say in the film. Yeah. And that's what we, we did. So we did interview, we've interviewed hunters. And maybe I can mention here that there is an organization in South Africa of professional hunters that is completely opposed to the canned lion industry and the captive or the canned hunting industry. And we've, we discovered a couple of, of these outfitters at the Safari Club International Convention last year um, where they have openly said in their booths that they do not support captive hunting and captive lion breeding. Um, so it was, it was it, it, it very interesting for us to be able to interview a couple of, of these hunters who were yeah. willing to, to be interviewed. Um, and that's they have we've we've included their interviews in the film because I think that's a very important aspect. There's a very clear difference between captive or canned hunting and what is known as fair chase hunting. After the break, we're going to continue our discussion with Pippa Hankinson and learn what we can do here to help the lions in Africa. It's animals today. Every day in our community, countless animals are starved, beaten, and abused by people. And sadly, most of these cases go unreported, and the abusers get away with it. And in many cases, someone knew about the abuse, but did not report it. So if you see someone hurting an animal, or even if you just suspect something, call the police or animal control right away. Animal abuse does not just mean physically abusing an animal. Neglecting animals can be just as bad. So if you see your neighbor's dog being underfed, left without water, or tied up in the backyard without protection from the elements, it is important to report that too. In many cases, you don't even have to give your name, and your phone call may save an animal's life. Also, we know that many violent and abusive adults got their start by first abusing animals. It's true. People who harm animals often turn their violence against other people, and that is a cycle we need to break. 
Remember, animals can't speak out for themselves, so reporting animal abuse can save lives. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn as a free gift. Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. 
Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. So, Pippa, as we conclude here, what can people in North America do to help the situation in Africa? We look at this and it's incredible, shocking. What can we do? Peter, the first thing is please watch the film. Um, I think the film, we've been credited with a highly informative film. Um, And I think that after watching the film, it will certainly enable a lot of viewers to, to, to make responsible choices and to understand what is actually happening. We have screened it through MSNBC on TV in America already, and there are some, some screenings that we're going to be holding across the country and at next year. We hope to put a, a roadshow together where we can hold some screenings. Yeah. The, the most important thing, I think, is for people to see the film. The, all the information, we have a huge amount of information on our website to enlighten viewers and readers um, around about the industry. Um, so that is the one thing. And then I think a very important aspect of it is, is to really get involved, to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Um, we'll make sure that you're up to date with all the, the, the news around this industry. And um, th- we do have a, a, an access page on there, which people, people can reach out to us if they have information. And we encourage that. We've got a tab on there where you can you know, um, send petitions um, to our government um, or to our tourism organization, or in the case of land bone trade to the IUCN or CITES. But what we ask is with, whenever sending a petition letter that is done with constructive comment and feedback, and also to support any correspondence with rele- you know, relevant facts and figures. Um, and for young volunteers, I would like to say to them, please ask the right questions. Um, find out where you're going. Find out as much as you can about the uh, volunteer project that you're going to be supporting. Ask questions. For example, if you um, ask where do the lions come from, 
most one of the most important questions, where do all these cubs come from? Mm-hmm. We cannot have a case where we've got thousands of quote-unquote orphaned lion cubs in South Africa. And the second question would be a very obvious, and where do the lions go? Yes. And in many cases, these volunteers are told that they're being rewilded into the wild. And then we would urge these these young people to say where, show us where, tell us where. Um, as far as we know, there have been no really successful lion rehabilitations into the wild at all. And there are three reasons why this would not be possible. And the one reason is you have a, 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 a human habituated animal that has no fear of humans. So in the wild would pose a very dangerous um, creature to humans. The second reason would be that that lion really doesn't know how to defend itself. Not having grown up for 18 months to two years with its mother, it has no idea how to to defend itself against other lions or any of the dangers, including snakes in the wild. And then the third reason would obviously be from the genetic perspective, um, that the, the the captive lion breeding industry in the South Africa is severely inbred. Peter, the one point that I'd just like to, to make is, is the welfare aspect of these captive breeding facilities. Um, the captive breeding is done with very few welfare concerns and very, very few welfare or conservation protocols in place. And that's a very important. A lot of these, these lands are really living in appalling conditions. And we, we, have, we have made that very clear in the film. We did put a young volunteer in undercover with a GoPro, and he filmed some appalling um, situations where enclosures hadn't been cleaned for weeks and weeks, where food, old food hadn't been cleared away. Um, there no, we've had in, instances with young volunteers where they've said that they've been at these projects for months, sometimes at a time, and they've never seen one vet actually go onto these properties to check the animals. As far as we know, none of the food is, is, is checked either. And the footage that we got with that young volunteer um, on, the, on, in the, the, on the breeding facility of the food that was fed to these animals was just appalling. So the welfare concern is huge. Um, it's monitored at the moment by the NSPCA, but they have to, because these, these, these facilities are not open to the public, they actually have to make appointments to go onto these farms. And by the time they get there, um, everything has been cleaned up. The water um, the water has been cleaned, it's been replaced, the, the, all the old food and the old bones has been cleared up, and um, the feces have been cleared away. So by the time they get there, there's very little that they can do about you know, it from a welfare perspective. And it, they only have three wildlife as well, so it's a huge task, an insurmountable task for them to actually police these, these, these facilities. Well, Pippa Hankinson, thank you very much. The film is Bloodlines. Make sure to find it when it comes around. We really appreciate you educating us and uh, joining us on Animals today. Thank you very much, Peter, and thank you for the opportunity. We really appreciate it, too. 
This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. So somebody's poll came out a few months ago, top dog names in the country and yeah. uh, the most popular names of dogs for each breed in the country. Well, that's interesting. You don't see that. Yeah. Well, every year they come out with the poll, don't they? Many polls per year, but yeah. the names per breed, I don't remember seeing that. And I'm looking over this list. Yeah. None of our animals, current or past. Mm-hmm. Names are on this list. Well, we don't like Bella. We don't like Bella, which is the number one dog name in the country. Good get. Was that a guess? Well, Bella is leading the charts for a long time. Okay, now. Bella. So our dogs in the past, let's see, Paco, Paco. right? Paco is a Doberman mix. Yep. They're all rescue dogs, of course. Paco. Um, nickname, what do we call Paco? Well, he was a devil. Devil dog, right? Devil yeah. dog. Cleo. Cleo yeah. was a... A dump dog in the desert here in our Palm Springs Valley that I rescued, Cleo. She looked like one of those ancient Egyptian dogs, so that was a Cleopatra reference. Right, and you called her the red dog from outer space. Yeah. That was her nickname. Josie, Josie Pye. Right. The sweetest dog in the world. The sweetest dog in the world. Anyone who's listening, sweeter than their dog. The Uh, sweetest dog. Get your own radio show. (laughs) And Josie, but where did that name come from? Of course, she's sweet. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe kids Josie Pie. We used to call her Josie uh, Pie. Nickname started with Josie. You named her Josie. It's oh, I think because we had cats at the time, Josie and the Pussy Cats, or something uh, like that. I don't okay. know. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, and then the cats, um, we had Baby and Felix. Mm-hmm. Felix is probably a common name, but I don't see it on here for dogs. Um, yes, Felix the cat and 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 Baby. And when I was growing up, Sparky. Uh, that- my must have been popular. Yeah, it was a popular name. Way, way back when. Way back when. She was my best friend in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your dog's name growing up? Well, we had a schnauzer named Bosco. Okay, Bosco's very common, mm-hmm. right? And then currently we have Cosmo. Cosmo's a black dog. Black uh, Pitbull mix. Pitbull mix. He's dark like the Cosmos. And what's not, his nick- Not Cosmo Slotnik, though. That was, that's, that's his nickname, though. Okay. <laughs> you call him Cosmo Slotnik. <laughs> And Susie, yes. Susie Q, we also call Devil Dog. Yes, very uh, well uh, deserved. Th- that is correct. Mm-hmm. And then cats, Ringo. Ring- okay, Ringo and Elton. Ringo and Elton Rescu- came together. together. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have Margarita and Uzo. Yes. Why did we name Uzo? Oh, because Margarita and Uzo and mm-hmm. any other liquor. We just like liquor. Just a little references. Okay. <laughs> so talk names, top names, dog names in the country. You guess Bella Ride is number one. What do you mm-hmm. think number two is? 
Oh, uh, Max. Max is number three. Oh. Lucy's number two. Max Lucy. is number three. Mm-hmm. Daisy. Yep. Number four or five is Bailey. Bailey. And then six, very common. I hear it all the time. Buddy. Mm-hmm. Seven, Molly. Mm-hmm. Charlie. Maggie. Sadie. You know, I, listening to this list again, it's not super intriguing. I mean, it's the same sort of names every, every I know, year. I know. I guess... People are comfortable well, I, with them. I, I wanted to make this segment a little more interesting by talking about our dogs and cats' unique names. Okay, and then the um, most popular names for each breed. Right. Now, so I'm very mi- interested in this. Yeah, okay. Mixed breed. The most popular name of a mixed breed dog is Rex. No, Rex is not even on, this, on the list. I would think Max, but it's not. What is it? Uh, Lucy. Okay. Lucy. Mm-hmm. And Max is for German Shepherd. Seems to be okay. the positive for German Got Shepherd. It. Interesting. Okay. Lab. Lab is Bailey. Okay. Chihuahua. What's the popular, most popular name oh, for Chihuahua? Uh, Chihuahua. Uh, um, ankle biter. Okay. <laughs> Coco. Co- oh, yeah. Coco. Okay. Golden Retriever. Bailey. Mm-hmm. Lucy. Another Lucy. Yeah. Boxer. Uh, Rufus. Rocky. Rocky, that's right. Rufus I mean. is good. <laughs> Shih Tzu. Mm, oh, yeah. I saw that one earlier. Gizmo. Gizmo's right. <laughs> okay, German Shepherd Max. York. Uh, you, come here, Gizmo. I mean, you're saying Gizmo 50 times a day. It should be a word that you want to say. <laughs> okay. Oh, Gizmo. Well, we say Cosmo 50 times a day. That's just a headache. Okay. <laughs> Yorkshire Terrier. Sophie. Okay. And Beagle. Daisy. Be- okay. Okay. Very cute. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website, again, is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. Hey, folks, it's Dana here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. I'm Bob DiRigo-Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. 
For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia. Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. As you know, we just recognized Veterans Day, and really, doesn't it serve to remind us about the sacrifice and bravery of our armed forces, but also how difficult it can be for certain veterans to endure physical and emotional scars? We all know how prevalent post-traumatic stress disorder has become and what a serious condition it can really be, and even more so because it's invisible. Now, I have to tell you, I always maintain a healthy skepticism about medical therapies involving animals. For instance, I think dolphin-assisted therapy for kids with autism and other developmental problems is basically a hoax. But my good friend just told me about a program involving horses helping veterans, and I really think this is the real deal here. So I want to welcome Stephen De Palma, founder and president of the Veteran Barn Door Project, Inc. Welcome to the program, Stephen. Thank you, Lori. Thank you for having us on. Stephen, tell us, what is the Veteran Barn Door Project, Inc.? Well, the Veteran Barn Door Project is a, uh, is a nonprofit that provides natural, uh, natural horsemanship clinics to veterans and their families around the country. Um, I founded this um, for women, uh, men and women who are returning from uh, from war with PTSD, and I call that you know the uh, the hidden wounds of war. You know, you you often see guys either missing a limb or um, it, or scars. You know, and you, you know that they that they you know they're suffering from something. Yeah, a lot of people who are walking around with PTSD and TBIs, um, it's really hard to hard to see. You know, a lot of people mask it. Yeah. So. 
I I have PTSD. Um, I was retired because of uh, well my knees and and, and my brain, and uh, I turned to my horses um, because I wanted to stay involved with soldiers and and um, and use my passion to stay involved with them. I, I, I partnered with a great, wonderful man, Greg Leal, uh, after going to one of his horsemanship clinics uh, and learned what I learned from him. It changed my entire life, my entire way of thinking. Um, so we partnered and put together this amazing training that introduces uh, these veterans to a 1,200-pound animal that can actually feel what you're feeling. And what do they do with them? Um, we'll start off, like, first things in the morning, we'll start off, um, you know, practicing with some lariats, you know, um, just uh, throwing them over um, some fence posts or some wooden uh, wooden cows or something. And then we start doing some what we call lead buys, um, start moving the horse with, uh, with a lead rope, getting them to uh, circle around us on track in the hind end. Um, we might, uh, and we'll, we'll get them to start bumping them up to a fence line, showing them that that just their feet or lead line can actually move this 1,200-pound animal without yanking on it or without whipping it or pushing it. It's the simplest of things, you know, can, can get this horse to move. And as I watch this going on, you can see the smiles in their faces as this is, like, connecting to them. They're like, wow, I can actually connect with this horse, make this horse, you know, follow me, go with me, do things with me, and I don't have to push it that hard. And this helps the veterans post-traumatic stress disorder? Absolutely. I don't think it takes them out of the depression so much as it, it, it gives them a connection. It gives them something, to an outlet for them, a way to channel um, their anxiety, a way to um, step outside of that depression. So when we get done at the end of the day, and these guys have been smiling and laughing all day, uh, we'll have a barbecue. And then you'll hear them just be like, this is amazing that I'm standing here with this 1,200-pound animal, and it wants to put his head on my shoulder yeah. the minute that I start feeling fat again. So what I've found, and, and you know, especially for me, when I was going through this, you know, my frustrations with people, um, and I guess you can say society and everything, was that uh, you know, I always felt like no one was listening. No one wanted to hear our, you know, hear my story or what was wrong with me, or maybe I didn't want to tell them. But the more that I got involved with the horses and the more that I saw uh, the change in my horse uh, through what I was learning, the horse saw the change in me. And I believe we got closer. I believe that, I believe that my horse saw me as a different person as I began to see her as a different, as a different horse. And, I, and you would be amazed at how quickly um, that transformation can happen. I've seen it happen in a day. I've seen it take three days. Mm -hmm. But it does happen. And, Stephen, what do the horses get out of it? The horses get a friend. <laughs> and, a friend for life. And the horses en um, enjoy you know, this? The horses enjoy this? Sure. Absolutely. Um, when I first started riding horses, I didn't know, you know, that I, I wasn't that that caring or uh, a loving guy. You know what I mean? I rode the way I was taught. And then I learned this natural horsemanship way. I've been reading about it for a few years, and then I met Greg. And it completely changed the way I do everything. Everything. 
from the way I pet my horse to the way I feed my horse uh, to the way I sit in my saddle. And I've gotten to the point that I want my company to be big enough, and we will be, but I want to be able to have a headquarters where I can rescue these horses that, that um, are abused at certain track companies, you know, race companies, and, and uh, mask them up with people who uh, are suffering from PTSD. And now do the veterans go to you or do you go to them? That's kind of, that's an interesting question. Um, I spend a lot of time on social media. I search a lot of Facebook pages uh, to see what uh, men and women are posting. If I see something that's a little bit um, out of the normal, you know, that they might post about that they could come from depression or anxiety, I'll contact them. But I mostly I, I put I put ads out, um, and I talk to large military groups uh, around New England, and tell them what we do, and, and they come to me. You know, we will if they if they want to continue on working with horses, if they want to take lessons, um, we'll we'll help provide those lessons. We put a lot of effort into keeping stables and barns, um, you know, in business, because a lot of them are going out because of the lack of riders. So we get these guys, you know, we'll, we'll pay for their lessons uh, for uh, their first level of horsemanship. My phone is always on. I get calls at all hours of the night, no matter where I am in the country, and, uh, and listen, you know, when they need to talk. Um, I've, you know, we've, we've had a couple guys who are on that edge, and you know, either their parents or their wife or somebody's called me to talk to them, and um, I use, you know, I, I'm close enough, I'll drive over there. So this just doesn't end with just a horse. This is something that we're doing to provide a safe avenue uh, to recovery. How can people and veterans learn more about your project? They can visit us on the web at www.veteranbarndoor.com or they can find us on Facebook at Veteran Veteran Barn Door Project. Stephen De Palma, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.